0: what's going on welcome to another eastern current fishing podcast uh it's an exciting day here we've got from our very first episode we've got our buddy luke donay back a lot of y'all have been asking for us to bring him on with our north carolina flounder season uh quickly quickly approaching and there's no one that knows flounder at least in my opinion like luke donay does so uh, we're excited to pick his brain today and uh and and maybe learn a little bit of his his secret skills little flounder whispering skills so uh, i know listening to the first podcast we did with him not only was i just so intrigued the whole time but i really do feel like it opened my eyes up to how to be a better flounder fisherman and a year later now just about a year later um i feel like i've become a better flounder fisherman but that might be because there's a lot of flounder around this year um maybe i am becoming a better flounder fisherman we'll we'll never really know but um if you haven't checked out eastern current fishing on facebook go check out that group uh, you can just communicate with other listeners and uh, share your, your fishing stories, your fishing pictures, and hopefully find some uh, some other people that you can get out in the water with in your local areas to go fishing together. Um, also, if you do love Eastern Current, please check out our, our Patreon page. We've got extra content on there, and you can help support us financially, uh, which is a huge blessing. But that's enough of me. I'm going to bring on our guest, Luke Donay. What's going on, man?
1: Hey, guys. How
0: are you? Oh, we're doing good. Doing good. I remember this was a little less stressful setup than the first time we went on. And we were going live <laughs> on the first yeah, episode, and right. we were having a connection problem. This was way more laid back.
1: Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I, yeah, man. I remember that the first time. It's like Skype didn't work. Phone didn't <laughs> work. Nothing worked. You know, life was crap. Right. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But, yeah, this this is easier. This
0: is so much easier. <laughs> Stop. I've, start, I've stopped doing the live just because it's so hard with a baby to – Be like, yeah, I'm gonna do Tuesdays at at eight, and then it's like sometimes Tuesdays at eight are great, sometimes Tuesdays at eight are not great. So, just recording when we get a window to. I
1: know it. I know it.
0: How's fishing been for you this summer?
1: Man, fishing's been great. Um, You know, obviously we can't keep any flounder, but the flounder bite's been on fire. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we were just talking about this earlier. I think you know we had a tropical system that kind of came through earlier this year. Um, so I think it kind of pulled the fish a little bit more compactly. They didn't spread out like they normally do when they come in off the offshore wrecks, you know. And the uh, in the in the late winter, early spring, normally they start kind of coming through and you and you feed through as they come in and hitting those different spots. But uh, we had that early season tropical system that came and dumped like 13 inches of rain inland. And most most of the time when I'm river fishing or creek fishing, you know, fresh water is one of those things that can really push them out of there. So this, uh, that first system, I think, really kind of kept them at bay, um, and in the mouth of the, uh, the river and the mouth of the inlet and the intercoast waterway. And kind of, they just kind of didn't matriculate all the way up in the areas that they normally do. So right now they're, they're pocketed up pretty heavy. So it's, uh, makes it kind of nice. Yeah.
0: It does. Things. It does. Uh, schooling flounder is, is definitely a benefit. Schooling any fish, you know, when you can find an area that's holding the majority of those fish. That is, uh, funny that you say that. It feels like, um a lot of the fish i've been catching have been in certain zones as far as flounder go and the redfish even i mean the redfish are a lot more freshwater friendly but it seems like when we get those big rains um it does kind of concentrate them more at the inlets or the river mouths um i did notice after the storm we just had it was like we didn't get much local rain to mess the the river up and so the water was pretty good but now it's kind of getting dirty i've noticed the past two days have been a little dirty have you seen seen that as well
1: yeah, yeah. And normally, when we get that rain, it kind of turns that 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 river water into that dirty tea yeah. color. So you got tea that's been in a glass, has been sitting there all day. It kind of is that that opaque type of, you know. And then that's how you know there's that there's that kind of tea. Well, you know, that kind of water. But a lot of times, you know, because I predominantly live bait fish, the hardest thing is to be in that. It's not that the fish aren't necessarily there. It's just your live well pump on your boat is recirculating that top layer of water, which is nothing but fresh water. So it kills your bait. Even though that lower level is, is has nice salinity in it. You know, it's like, it just kind of kills you right. on the live fish So sometimes you got to break out the old artificial to try to get to them. But even on that front, I don't even, I, I noticed that even if that water is like that and its salinity is down there, I just get out of it and try to find clearer water and more salinity and uh, and you'll find the fish. Yeah,
0: sure. definitely. Definitely. The, well. Let's talk a little bit about the fish. We are kind of just going over um, what we're gonna, how we're going to break this podcast down, but you, you have a lot of knowledge of the flounder and of the flounder here in North Carolina. So do you want to kind of take us through kind of, you know, the, that fish, kind of the habitat
1: and the anatomy of that fish? Absolutely. So North Carolina is the only state that has all three species of flounder, okay? We have southern flounder, we have summer flounder, and we have gulf flounder. So um, the difference, there's an easy way to, to tell it. So all, all flounder have spots, right? So, right. Uh, but believe it or not, a lot of those spots are actual camouflage. It can change those colors and change those splotches. And so it looks like it's spotty all over, but there's certain spots on the flounder that can't change. And uh, on a Southern flounder, there are no spots. Like if you just put that flounder on sand for like a day or so, that thing's going to look just like sand with no spots on it. Right, wow. but if you, put, if you put a summer flounder on there, and you say put it on sand that's like super light color, there's gonna be five distinguishable spots on it, and it'll look like a spot within a spot. And so there's five spots on that fish. And with a gulf flounder, there's three spots. And there's kind of other ways to tell with the hearing line and jawbone, but really that's the easiest way to tell. There's the spots. Um, yeah, and but for, for the most part, we'll be talking about southern flounder today, because I think that's around this area. Um, Pretty much what people are targeting, Um, you'll get summer and gulf, but most of the time you'll get them in the ocean. Those are ocean fish; they rarely come in past the inlet. Um, Whereas, you know, uh, southern flounder, you know, they go upwards of 60 miles offshore to breed, and then they'll make their way back in and come all the way up, even way even past downtown Um, Wilmington. In fact, my my biggest flounder caught was caught up past downtown. Wow! And so, so, you know, you don't think they get up there. Believe it or not, they do. They do. So, so I've heard,
0: oh, sorry, sorry. I I interrupted you. Real quick, I've heard stories, you know, Weldon, North Carolina, where people go striper fish.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard
0: guys of of guys catching uh, flounder all the way up there um, in Weldon on the Roanoke River, which is crazy. Wow.
1: I I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I really wouldn't doubt it. Um, You know, there's, I believe, honestly, that there's a subspecies of flounder that I've got my dog. Oh, you're good.
0: You're good.
1: Like you've got a little child and (laughs) I've got a puppy. Um, so, uh, so I think there's a subspecies of flounder up there because when they say that they have to go offshore to breed and I'm still catching them in, in early January when I'm sitting there and, and, uh, 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 fishing for trout, you know, uh, I think that there's a subspecies up there that don't migrate. I think they breed up there, but that's just a personal opinion of mine. But, um, but there is uh yeah i mean there's some big big flounder that can get up there in that river and uh and a lot of people just don't go up there and fish them so i think they just get up there and get fat get fat just hang
0: out yeah yeah that's cool um do you you tend to find that the rain like we were saying earlier when it does move them around does it seem like a certain amount of rain or salinity change like that you kind of key in on where you're like i'm not gonna go fish this i'm gonna start looking in you know, a newer area closer to salt water. Is there any type of pattern there?
1: I t- I taste the water. Yeah. Um, If it's got, if I taste salt, you know, I'll fish it. But if it just tastes like full on fresh water, I don't even mess with it.
0: Don't mess with it. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: It's like even if there's just a little tinge of salt, I'll you know I'll fish it. But if I sit there tasting, it it's just solid fresh. I don't even I don't even mess don't with mess it. Don't mess with it. Yeah. But to to me, um, it, it's more more even than salinity. It's clarity. Uh, clarity. One of the thing that you can take out of flounder fishing even though in the river you think well it's all dark water yes but you can still have two three feet of clarity you know in the river so even though the water's dark it still actually can get pretty clear so you know you want that water to look like a coffee color not like a latte you know and so you know you want that good clarity of water to sit there and, and 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 look for those fish so when you're sitting there looking for the different patterns and you're looking for eddies and you're looking for current, you're looking for everything you normally look for. The one thing I look for is, is clarity. Yeah. That's the first, thing. it's not clear. I'm gone. It's like, cause there's just no way, even if you hit it on top of the head, man, they're just not chewing. Yeah. No, if not, just not even there. Um, you know, they're, they're not a fi- They're not a fish. That's one is going to normally a Southern flounder really won't chase a bait down. Um, you know, I've had, you know, su- um, summers and golf chasing you know, baked down offshore. I think for the main reason, there's so much more competition out there. They're not afraid to, you know, give up their location, but man, Southern flounder, you know, just like a lot of Southern gentlemen are pretty lazy. <laughs> they're they're going to sit there. They're going to eat. They're going to get fat. That's pretty much all they're going to do, but they're not going to waste too much energy and giving up their, you know, giving up their spot, you know, um, to, uh, to chase a band down. I almost say that they're like a rattlesnake, you know, they'll strike, you know, with a couple of feet, <laughs> the bottom, you know, and they yeah. just, just sit there um so um you know clarity clarity is definitely key when that's one of the biggest things i look for
0: gotcha yeah i would have to agree with that just from a, a visual standpoint like the other day i think it was two days ago i was pulling lower river pulled one bank on one side of the river that was really clear i mean clear for yep. down there and i spooked a ton of flounder off of it i was looking for redfish but we kept mudding flounder off the bank and some nice ones Then I went and fished another bank that was muddier. It was on the other side of the river. It was catching a lot more of that water, that dirty water coming down from upriver. Uh, Still clear enough to see and to have seen a redfish, um, but we didn't spook any flounder off that bank. And it's another bank that I catch flounder on. And so it was cool to see that, you know, after you saying that, the clearer water. Maybe it was a coincidence, but I I think that, you know, those fish don't move, like you're saying, very far. So they want to sit somewhere clean where they can see that bait well and eat it, I feel like, you know. so. um, Well, let's – let's talk about you know you've got clean water say everything that you like to fish is clean or the whole river is clean what right. do you what do you start to look for as far as as a spot to go i'm not asking for your spots obviously but like what what are some what are some of the things you look for um to hold flounder into fish
1: right so um a couple things after clarity i would go with current current um, gotta have even just a little bit of current um, stagnant water almost never holds flounder the main reason is is because flounders sit and they sit still right right where other fish will sit there and swim in the water column um, they will naturally pour that water over their gills hence giving them oxygen but when a flounder sits on the bottom with no current there's no way for that water to go over his gills to give them oxygen that's gotcha. right so it's got to have a little bit of current um, uh, the second thing is structure uh, I love structure. If you're not losing rigs, you're in the wrong spot. Um, you know, I know a lot of people like to drift the, you know, the inlets and a lot of people like to sit there and, you know, drift the intercoastal. I guarantee you, almost all the time, you're going to get nothing but shorts and, you know, maybe a decent flounder here or there for a lot more work than you should be working. If right. you can find some good structure with some current, um, you know, because what happens is that not only will the flounder use that for their own protection, but you know, bait fish use it for their protection. They know that. So the flounder, if you can find that section where, you know, mud or sand meet, goes up and either meets with an oyster bed or meets with some rocks or meets with a piling, something like that, it's like, that's that's what they like. It draws the bait in, it gives them protection, it gives them cover, and uh, and they, they like that. So, so definitely clarity, definitely current, definitely structure. Those are definitely three things Below the water, that uh, that you're going to want to look for, um, whether it's on your depth finder or whether you you know go out. Uh, say one of the best times to actually go out and, and do research on trying to figure out where to fish um, is at a dead low tide. You know you can see the oysters that stick out. You can see where the channels within the channels are, and you can kind of make these mental notes and then sit there and say, okay, you know um, when the you know when the tide's a little bit higher, you know I'm going to go go ahead and, and hit that you know, it just kind of gives you an opportunity to sit there and, and, and kind of give you some extra spots and extra things to look for. So, um, so after that, if above water, say you haven't fished an area before um, and you just want to go out and just hit in places, um, you know, on the river and same thing with the intercoastal waterway, we have the spoil islands, right? Yeah. Probably the easiest things to do to try to find flounder is to hit the heads Of those spoil islands dependent on the current. And what I mean by that is like, so if you have, say the river is flowing south, right? And you have current, the outgoing tide is flowing south. Yeah. You're gonna hit the north side of that island, and vice versa, on an incoming tide. And so a lot of people would think, oh well, I want to sit on the back side of it where you know, kind of where you get some some funky eddies and things, and you'll find a couple fish there, but flounder more like Ambush points than they do, you know. Some like I like a good eddy, but the eddy has to be has to be a certain thing, and we'll go into that here in a second. Okay. But one of the easiest things to, to really look for if you're going out and just kind of you had an afternoon, you're just going to go out and you're just going to go fishing instead of like taking days to go out and do research. Hit hit the, the 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 split point of the current on these islands. So like if if the current's going from north to south. The north side of that island where it splits that current, and so and then you hit those split points right there, and that is a choke ambush ambush point that they really like. Now, on a couple of these islands, you'll have maybe have like a little point that comes out from that that Uh creates an eddy off of it, and that's just juicy right there. You know, I mean, it's like you kind of hit that right there. You know, bait's gonna sit there, it gets it hits that island, it's got to go one of two ways. The bait fish know that. The bait fish know that. Everything know that, and they're going to sit there and go down there. So I would hit those first and foremost. That's like an easy way to do it. You know, if if you don't know the area and you're just going to go out for an afternoon and hit it, that's definitely something you want to look at.
0: Awesome. So, yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I like that. You, you, so many people think the eddy is the current breaks, but the flounder, they're they've got the bottom pretty much as a current break. You know, if they got their head right down there on the bottom, they're not having to fight the current too much, and they got right. first first choice all that bait. All right. So, structure-wise, you were talking about you know man-made structure a little bit and and natural structure. Is there? Do you have a preference to, of which you like to fish or what you feel
1: like is better? So, I, I like natural structure, but you can. One of the neat things too is especially like if you go down on the intercoastal waterway, you can see uh, tons of docks. But don't don't pick out any new docks. Look at the docks that are sit there, super old and broken down and everything, because you know at the base of those pilings, they're probably twice right. the size of oysters growing all over that piling, you know? So hit the old docks, not the new ones. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll find more structure, you'll find more fish and more, in a, more of an established ecosystem down there than, uh, than you can do. So I do like both man-made and natural. Most of the time I'm fishing natural, because um, a lot of times I don't fish the intercoast just because of the amount of people that are out on the <laughs> right. intercoast. Um, so it's, uh, you know, but uh, but, you know, talking about, you know, trying to find flounder during seasons as well, I will hit the intercoastal first thing in the spring, because they're making their way off the offshore wrecks. So I'll I'll be hitting the inlets. I'll be hitting the intercoastal waterway because they're making their way up into the creeks, into the rivers at that point. So you know, the first thing in the season, you know, in early you know spring and early summer, you know, I'm hitting those mouths mouths and areas like that because they just really kind of have made their way up yeah. into the spots that I kind of fish for the rest of the summer. So and then vice versa in the fall when they're starting to move out you know, to go to their breeding grounds, you know, in October, November, you know, that's when you start hitting those areas again. So, you know, and then on the, you know, of course those summertime months get way up in the creeks, get way up in the river, kind of hit all those kind of areas. And uh, so the time of year, that's what I will focus on.
0: Okay. Um, my next thought or my next question is this, and I think they they could potentially go hand in hand and that's like water depth and then water temperature. Do you, do you pay much attention to either one of those in flounder fishing? Yeah.
1: Um, I'll, I'll tell you almost all of my double digit fish, almost all of them have come from fish in less than a foot and a half of water. Now, wow. with that being said, there always is a drop off nearby. Okay. those bigger fish. have realized, Hey, why am I sitting here fighting, you know, all these bait fish in a six, eight, 10 foot water column when I can sit there and sit in a one foot water column and get them a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I've seen monster flounder literally skybait out of the water in a foot of water, and it's just weird. You think it's like a drum or something, right? It's like a, a the And rag. they usually
0: do a, a backflip when they do it. They're like, yeah. come out and do some crazy backflip. Like, wait, what was that?
1: <laughs> they are not graceful no. at all. You know? Yeah, they you know, it's it's crazy. So, um, but but they're voracious about it. Um, and uh, but yeah, you know, they'll they'll find. So if you can find those ledges, kind of like either up against a mud bank. Um, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're in these creeks, you know, and you kind of see a big uh, mud bank flat, um, and then it kind of like has a slow cascade to it. Maybe there's, there's some oysters nearby, you know, to stay on the deeper side and cast up on that, on that shallower side and working the bait, you know, down off that cascade, a lot of times is where, where they'll be sitting, but they like a deeper drop off nearby. Gotcha. Um, whether it's because of temperature, you know, summertime those shallows can get pretty warm. Um, and normally if there's a deep drop off, you're probably getting more current as well as, you know, cooler water in there. So it kind of calculates the temperature a little bit. Um, they do get lethargic and, and, pretty warm water. Um, you know, when it gets those dog days of summer, you know, I will, I will definitely, you know, I'll hit those spots, but normally will be like early morning. Mm -hmm. Um, when maybe that water taps a couple degrees cooler. Um, you know, during the middle of the day, they'll go to deeper water for sure. Okay. Middle of the day, I'm, I'm hitting you know five, six feet of water just because I think it just gets too hot warm up there. Yeah, um, you know, so they're kind of getting down there because of course the hotter the water gets too hot, the least amount of oxygen that's in there too. Right. So you know, you kind of get that dissolved oxygen where it's a little bit heavier down deeper and that's kind of where they'll be hanging out.
0: Okay. Do you feel like uh the the light condition plays any any role of where they might be sitting like early in the morning when the light's low later in the day when the sun's up, and I know that kind of plays into temperature It might even be the same thought process, but do you, you know, see anything it, there
1: it's interesting um you know I find believe it or not, I do better like when it's definitely definitely sunnier um i think that you know if you, if i can get either all cloudy day or all sunny day yeah uh, i'd do better um i think it might get a little skittish with that partly cloudy like you know cloud going in and out type deal but interestingly too along with that you know i love a good high pressure system where yeah. it's like you get that bluebird day low humidity you know that high pressure man i find that they chew on yeah. that type of day um, you know, I and honestly, you know, talk about wind direction and, and pressure, I really don't see too much of a difference on that, um, because once again, you know, flounder don't have air bladders, right? So That's they don't true. have, you know, so the pressure doesn't really affect them as much as, say, they would a drum or a trout or something like that, so... Um, you know, so I, but I do like high pressure, but I think I like a high pressure because normally it's like you get maybe a easterly wind or southeasterly wind or northeasterly wind and it kind of clears the water up and it goes back to clarity. You know, you get clear water on those days, especially you yeah. have days in a row, and I find that they chew more on that. Now, whether it's because of the high pressure or because of the water clarity, I'll throw them both in there. Right,
0: right. That is, I like that. That's an in-depth look at that, and I, I think that's what's, uh. And that's what people love so much about your first podcast is it's like when you can find someone like you that's really just dove, like uh, dove, is it, would it be dove or dived, <laughs> has dove in head first and yeah, really just yeah. knows every little detail of a fish and a fishery, man, that's that's you for the, for sure with this flounder. Um, well, sweet. So yeah, one thing that I've noticed is, and this is just like I've I catch some flounder, but I don't know them like you do by any means. It, like earlier in the mornings when i'm throwing top waters or i'm trying to sight fish if the if the tide's low the yeah. amount of flounder that i spook from shout really shallow on the bank like where you probably would have never casted yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: Is, is not that's you but just where you never would have thought to cast for a flounder is where a lot of these fish are coming from and one another thing that's surprised me lately that i've been noticing is they'll lay right on top of oysters like oh, like yeah. heavy oyster yeah. bars they will they'll lay on they the oysters walk.
1: They will literally take their fins and force them down and just sit there and just kind of like do this weird little like S-walk with their (laughs) fins pointing on the bottom and just sit there with the fins right on top of that oyster bed. And they're just sitting there chilling. I know. know?
0: I wish I had never seen that because I'm going to lose way more jigs because of that. But I'm like, oh, an oyster bed. Let me throw right into it
1: exactly exactly hey like i said if you're not losing rigs you're not you're in the, not right, in the spot. right
0: spot that's very true yeah. yeah the amount of bait that hangs out all around those oyster beds and whatnot is is, is insane they so
1: eat it. they eat it all man they'll eat they eat shrimp they eat crab they you know they bait fish they you know um you know they're they're equal opportunity eaters you yeah. know they're not they're normally not picky you know i i would say that you know People ask me a lot, you know, we'll segue into bait here. Yeah,
0: um, I was about to say, let's take this into the bait,
1: <laughs> yeah, what you like so to use. I, once again, I predominantly live bait fish. Um, so, you know, people ask me what's my favorite bait. I'll say a big one. Um, you know, I would rather use a bigger bait, no matter what it is, than a smaller, you know, bait that might be a more preferred, you know, mullet or pogey or what have you. I'll take a large pinfish over a over a small pogey or small mullet any day of the week. Large flounder almost never will hit a small bait. You know, almost it, a lot of times if they if they do, a lot of times it's because of a short temperature change. Um, and that's normally on the cooler side. You know, you'll get in the late fall where you get a big shock. You know, one of those just super cold couple days and all of a sudden the water temp, you know, drops five, eight degrees, you know. And then all of a sudden they'll hit smaller baits, I think, because their body doesn't want to metabolize a large yeah. bait. Um, but the uh but normally I'm like, man I'm using you know I'm using anywhere from you know five to eight inch baits depending on the time of the year um, and I don't want to use anything smaller you know um because you're you would be amazed you would be amazed what even a small flounder will try to eat a small flo a small undersized flounder will try to eat a six inch fish, no problem you know it'll even though it can't swallow it it's only got half of it in, in its mouth it's gonna try to hit it so it's um, always just size is more important than type. Okay. But if you're going to have type, right, uh, it's like definitely you know I, I like pogies in the river because they flash more. Um, you know they give a li- because that water is a little darker and sometimes it's not as clear. More flash is really going to help you out. So I really like pogies in yeah. the river. Um, even though they're a pain in the butt to keep alive, and, you know you get one maybe two casts out of them, and then you got to chuck and do another one. Um, so you know pogies. Um, Of course, a lot of people also don't realize we have two types of mullet in North Carolina. You know, we've got striped mullet, we've got white mullet. Um, Everybody's looking out right now, and when they go out and they see the big schools on top, those are all white mullet. They only breed once a year. Um, Striped mullet or Popeye mullet breed multiple times of the year at different times of the year. So I always call them manna from heaven. When you have the pogies that are too big and the white mullet that are too small, I'll go after the striped mullet. You know, and in those intermediate times, and they kind of keep you on that right size of bait. Yeah. When you can. Um, I've got a buddy of mine who sits there and does nothing but fish with croaker. Uh, he'll go out and hook and line croaker with little gold hooks and, and sit there and catch them, you know, six, eight baits. And he'll, but he uses like 10 inch fish, you know, and he'll sit wow. there and snows, he'll sit there with these, and he, you know, nine out of 10 times he won't get anything. But that one time he does, it's eight to 12 pound fish. You know? Wow it's like you know he's uh he's got no problem with that you know i like you know spot is a really good bait too because they both spot and croaker swim on the bottom naturally you know mm-hmm. so it's like you know trying to keep them on the bottom is not a difficult thing right but a lot of times when you pull open a big a big flounder it's got a spot or croaker in it um oh, wow. you know they're uh and it's it'd be amazed when i used to eat really big flounder i let all my big flounder go now but When I used to eat big flounder, you know, I'd cut them open, and most of the time, that's what I was finding. I was finding croaker and pinfish. Wow! So, you know, they're uh, that's what they that's what they did for sure. Um,
0: I don't know why I've always been scared to fish pinfish. Like my confidence, and I've never even really fished one or soaked one for very long at all because I have never gotten that like confidence bite in one that like makes me think, oh, I'll fish the pinfish. But the more and more people I talk to, like it's been a it's been a recurring thing lately. There's people talking about the benefit of fishing pinfish. Um, right. I'm going to start doing it. I'm just going to, every time I bait fish from now on,
1: one rod's going to have a pinfish on it. Yeah, it <laughs> Easy is, to
0: catch, hook and line.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just, you know, and a lot of times, too, it's just, man, it's just, you know, they're more of a pain in the butt to get than, you right, know, say, right. man, or pogeys or whatever. You know, you don't want to spend all your day getting bait, you yeah, know. Yeah, definitely. So it's, uh, but at the same time. You know, if, if all you're doing is, is catching small mullet and all the pogies are way too big, it's like, yeah, man, go after that kind of third type of bait. You yeah, know? definitely. Um, don't be afraid to put some live shrimp down there. Cork some live shrimp over some, you know, you can get just as many flounders as you get trout and drum doing that. Yeah. You know? It's like flounder loves some live shrimp. For yeah, sure.
0: for definitely. Sure. Uh, well, tell me this. If you're not like just 100% trying to catch a monster, and I know that's all, always everyone's goal, but like, yeah. what, what is there too big on the bait? nope there's not um, too big okay
1: so if like if i'm but if i'm targeting you know if i'm targeting those two to three pounders which normally with my charters i try to do yeah because people want meat and to me that's the perfect eating size anywhere from two to four pounds man it's just like i and that's the type i like for them to catch because you know those those female flounders you know they get you know they get big but the bigger they get the more exponential their egg clutches grow Right. So it's just not like her size is bigger. It's like it's literally that, that curve really sweeps up. If you cut open a large, say eight pound flounder, those egg clutches are like that thick, you know, and that long. I mean, there's so many eggs in those in those big girls. And so that's why I always try to let those go because they really, really are, are the ones that are, you know, keeping the species going. Uh, but those smaller, like two to four pounds, man, that's the perfect type to eat. You know, and uh, so I will, you know, I'll still manage five to six inch mullet or five to six inch six inch pogey is no problem for that. Yeah. No problem. Also, awesome. I
0: yeah. think one of the other benefits of a larger bait as well is you kind of eliminate some of the crappy trash bites, you know, like the pinfish and the lizardfish and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. And if you go offshore, I'll actually use a little bit bigger bait because you know they're so much more aggressive offshore and you can kind of keep some of those you know smaller sea bass and oyster toads and things from from knocking those baits down so don't when you go offshore and you offshore flounder fish man bring even bigger baits yeah it's like don't worry about because every once in a while too man you get a cobia you'll get a big drum right you know, right so it's like bring those big baits offshore
0: Definitely, absolutely. definitely well i think that's a good time to transition into the rig Um, One one thing I was doing the other day, I I ran out and fished the jetty after a charter the other day and had some of my... I have like one tackle box of all my bait fishing, live bait fishing, cut bait fishing rigs. I didn't have that, so I was limited on my circle hook size and my weight size and everything. So I was fishing some bigger striped mullet, but my hook was too small. So let's dive into the rig and kind of like as that bait transitions, does the hook size change, does the weight size change, all that stuff. Right,
1: right. Okay, so most... I would say 95% of the people out there fish with kale hooks for flounder. Yeah, um, I don't for two reasons. Um, one, that flounder is more inclined to swallow it. So if you get a fish that's either undersized or a really big one that you want to let go, it's like you, it's more inclined to do it harm than good. And so, um, and you know, and I would even be willing to give that up if, if I just didn't get more on a circle hook than I do on a kale hook, okay? And I know a lot of people are gonna disagree with me out there on this, okay? But trust me, this, this works, and I'll, and I'll show you. So, one of the main reasons, I, the other main reason I really don't like a kale hook is when you're using live bait, especially say mullet, you hook from the bottom, and then you go through the top of the head, right? right. Well as your kale hook, you know, it sweeps, and then it has this real sharp angle on that hook, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go up, right, and then you go up top, well, what happens is that kale hook is not exposed. The barb's not exposed. It's literally laying right on the top of the bait, right? So a lot of times you don't get that hook set, right, that you normally do. And so this is where I believe that old theory of a flounder uh, scales its bait before it eats it. Yeah, that thats is, I'm going to say right here, that's the biggest bunch of BS. I know a lot of people are going to be like, what? But I'll tell you why, because when you're using a kale hook, that flounder slaps that thing and engulfs it right and it's trying to eat it Then all of a sudden you're setting the hook it doesn't have an exposed barb those snaggle teeth are right there and it just goes right, right on out of its mouth yeah. got teeth marks all over it it's got no scales and so I believe that's where that came from but I can guarantee you there's no way that one a flounder can how's it going to scale how's it going to scale the bait it's got opposable thumbs no right gonna like a fork off. no and and really is it going to take the chance of losing that bait
0: yes right? after it's already caught it definitely not
1: it's like i can guarantee you you take a flounder that just engulfed a fish and you cut it open and i guarantee you it's got all the scales on yeah right so so with that being said i went to a circle hook and it's really a modified circle hook so i use the eagle claw circle c okay and so and i use a carolina rig um now the circle c i'm going to try to come it up and and show you here so this circle c right here does not have an offset eye. So uh, a lot of times when you snell a hook like this is, you have an offset eye so that hook can pull straight, right? Right. Well, by, by having that snail that goes over that eye without the hook set, what happens is when a flounder ah. grabs it, you pull it and it pulls against that barb and goes 90 degrees in the side of its mouth. So no more counting to 10, no more sitting there going, oh, it's got it, I'm gonna sit there and and drink a beer where's the beer? beer where's the beer <laughs> the yeah you know and sit there and set the hook no you can actually just start reeling don't hook set it like jimmy houston you know but <laughs> sit there and and um, do a nice steady pull and keep that rod tip up and just start to reel and that thing will literally jackknife in the side of its mouth and get a hook set a lot more often than one a kale hook would but also it will you know not it'd be more inclined for that fish not to swallow it. yeah so you know, now it'll still swallow it if Rodney takes it, and I call Rodney. Rodney catches more fish than I ever will. Rodney the <laughs> rod holder, You know, <laughs> so it's like you, know, you have that that rod sitting in the rod holder, and it takes it, and it starts to eat it. There's the you know circle hook's not going to help you on that. But Rodney's
0: way. just very patient, way more patient that's than, right. you
1: and I. More than I. More patient than I. Yeah. For sure. So uh, so that's what I that's what that's what my hook set does, and I, I guarantee you'll catch more flounder doing that. Okay. Um, okay. So I use anywhere from you know. 14 18 inches kind of depending on the rig leader i use yuzuri 20 pound okay. test inshore um, and um, offshore 20 pound yep okay yep um and uh and main reason i like yuzuri is because the diameter of yuzuri is actually thinner than most fluorocarbons and so it's like if you put this 20 up next to say uh, uh, cigar or something like that it's like cigar is actually a little bit thicker diameter so this is stronger yet thinner Okay. Um, you pay more for, it, obviously, but uh, but I, I like that. Um, you know, and then, of course, you know, just go to your regular barrel swivel. Um, and then I go to actual a slide leader. Now, most of us are using braid now, so it's like if you're using monofilament, don't worry about the slide leader. But if you're using braid, which I recommend, you know, uh, because not for the fish, but for the structure you fish, right? So, um, you know, normally if, if we weren't fishing any structure, I'd be going 10 pound test on this and not even worry about it. Right. But the, the heaviness of the rig isn't for the fish, it's for the structure you're fishing. So, you know, once again, 20 pound rig leader, and then I have about five feet of a slide leader. Okay. And it's 30 pound. I use 30 pounds slide leader. The main reason, because if you tie that braid directly to that barrel, that barrel swivel that it's so supple a lot of times it wraps all around the egg sinker the egg can't slide like it should like a carolina rig should so by having by having an actual monofilament slide leader will allow that egg sinker to really do what it needs to do and not get all tangled up yeah um you know you'll get a lot less you know the bait will come back around and not get all tangled up in your braid it's like it's just it just it's one extra step but it's going to save you a lot of headaches yeah and so and so from that, I you know, I do a uni to uni knot with 30 pound braid. So 30 pound braid, 30 pound slide leader, 20 pound rig rig.
0: Okay. And
1: uh, that's that's my Carolina rig. And so I, I actually did this. I don't know if that'll pick it up or not. Oh yeah. If you can freeze it and see it, it's like you can you can do it. Yeah, that's perfect. So so yeah, so that's that's my that's my live bait rig. Um, and that is, you know, I use uh, anywhere from a you know seven two to seven six. Um, you know medium heavy uh, uh, rod um, and uh, like what well, like i said most it's not for the fish it's for you know it's it's literally for the uh, um, literally for the structure you're fishing pulling rigs off structure and a lot of times you got to lock it down you know you get a you know same place you're fishing for flounders drum hanging around all over the place so sometimes you just kind of need to lock it up and get them out of there um, so that really helps on that front um, i like uh you know i use a uh, Daiwa BG 3500. Um, you know, I man, there's I guarantee you, on the spinning reels, I haven't found spinning reels that have lasted this long ever. Like I've had these yeah. reels now on for over three years when they first kind of came out, and it's man, they're still like the day I bought them. Whereas you know, say a Penn or a Shimano, I always find Penn corrodes and Shimano Russ But these Daiwas, man, they're they're awesome. They are.
0: I re- I've got a, a handful of BGs that I, I do really like. They're good reels. Um, yeah. The only complaint I've ever heard anyone say about them is they're a little heavy, and they're they're that's being yeah. very nitpicky. If they're yeah. they're yeah. just barely okay. heavier than your Shimano or your Pin, um, oh, if they're going to last two years longer than them, I you know yeah. let's go with that. Yeah,
1: no problem, no problem. Um,
0: so. Well, tell me about this. Um, crap, I just had a question about. It was something about when you were talking about the Redfish, but. Um, Oh, let's, let's talk about this real quick. So as if, – if people watching this don't know, Luke does a lot of custom rod building. Um, is, is there anything real specific you look for? I know you said the seven-foot, medium-heavy, but is there anything else I – mean, there might not be, but specific uh, in the rod that you'd like in a flounder fishing rod? Yeah,
1: So I like – so on the line, when you're looking for one on a line weight, um, I like the 8 to 17 or maybe 10 to 20. Okay. I wouldn't go any more than that or any less than that. Um, anywhere from you know five eighths to ounce and a half type type uh, lure setup. Um, you know I like a flexible tip. You know I like a stout butt flexible tip. So say like a four and a half, a size four and a half tip, and then going all the way even to like a size five. Um, you know half inch butt. Um, so you've got enough enough ass in the back of it to really like lay into it if you need to. But you got that nice little flexible tip. So when you're sitting there and you're dragging it, you're sitting there and you'll feel that bump. You know it. You know, right? And so, um, it's like so. It's kind of like a balance of both, balance of both.
0: Okay, for sure, sweet. Um, and and one other thought I had about the rig is the weight. Like, wh- how do you decide how much weight you want to throw in, in certain scenarios?
1: Use just enough weight to get it to the bottom. Okay. You know, some currents, um, some currents are you know going to be heavy enough. Like when you're fishing snows cut, which I hate, but I hate to say it, snows cut carries big flounder. Yeah. Right? It's like I hate fishing. It's like nails against the chalkboard to me, yeah. with like all that boat traffic, get all those boats, and just like ah. But it, there's a monster flounder in there, you know. I'll use an ounce, ounce and a half, um, you know, and snows cut just to get it to the bottom because the current's so strong. Um, offshore, I use ounce and a half, um, and then but you know you get up in the river where the current's a little bit lighter, and a lot of times you might have more silt. So one of the biggest problems is if you use too heavy of a weight, that weight drops into the silt. And you're dragging your bait on the bottom, then you kill your bait by just dragging it through the silk. All right, of a sudden that right. you know, that bait's, you know, you're creating this huge commotion of that that silk cloud, you know. So, you know, I'll go upwards of half, you know, half ounce, you know, three eighths ounce, you know, tossing, especially if I'm pitching. Um, but uh but if you know, if I'm sitting there throwing and, and sitting, you know, I'd never go any more than an ounce, but most of the time it's like three quarter to half ounce in the okay. river when it's a little bit lighter. Like I said, you just want it heavy enough to get it to the bottom, but you got to get it to the bottom. Yeah. So yeah. You know, it's kind of like you kind of gauge that out.
0: Now, when, you, when you're fishing, are you always sitting stationary and casting and letting your bait sit? Or are there times where you're kind of trolling motoring with a Carolina rig and, and still pitching I, it and reeling it in?
1: So, so a lot of times, like say if I'm going to hit a creek mouth or I'm hitting a point or hitting an eddy, you know, I'll, I'll put the trolling motor on lock and I'll sit there and work that area because I know I know that there's, okay, there's a bank with a sandbar over here, I've got a oyster bed over here, I've got a, a stump over here. So I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna grenade that area by staying in one place. But, you know, but then if I sit there and I know that, say, if a certain part of the river I've been getting a lot of flounder on, a lot of times they're laid up on those banks like against, you know, against either the islands or the, each side of the river. And so if I've got good current, I've got a decent amount of you know, depth and, and lag off, you know, I'll take the trolling motor and I'll pitch. So I'll just sit there and kind of stay, you know, and a lot of times with, with flounder, they're not as skittish as you think. So you don't have to be, you know, 50 feet away and like work in the bank, you know, like right. say you might with trout or redfish. It's like, you can kind of get definitely closer and really pitch that bait. And, and also think about this you want is once you throw that line out, You want that bait to lift up and fall, lift up and fall. And just know that the further you cast it, the less chance, the the less ability you have because that angle minimizes. And so if you're doing this over here, it's just doing this on the end, right? So it's like, you know, to, to be able, and of course the depth of the water would matter on that too. So just know that a lot of times, you know, being far away isn't gonna really do you, you know, a whole lot of justice. So yeah. it's a, and like I said, they're not as skittish as you think. So it's like to get a little bit closer isn't going to hurt you and it'll give you a better action, especially on that Carolina route. By Definitely. Doing that.
0: I will say just to echo that is when I am polling the boat, this keeps being all my, my reference or flounder knowledge, but they yeah. do not spook until you're right over top of them. I mean, the boat yeah. has to literally cross over top of where they're sitting and then they'll spook. I've never, yeah. I don't think I've ever spooked one more than three feet away from the boat probably they're waiting until you're right there on top of them so they might know that you're there before that and be kind of like all right I'm safe I'm holding here now I'm taking off but um, yeah yeah, you can definitely get close to them
1: yeah for sure absolutely
0: so tell me tell me this a little bit and then I want to give you the time to share anything that we might have missed but I find myself and clients a lot of times um, well I'm fishing a jig a lot blind casting for redfish flounder trout whatever might be biting and
1: yeah.
0: I've started to pick up on it a lot more, but I, people miss it where it's like it feels like on a jig sometimes and if you're you're pulling a, a live bait that all of a sudden you just get this weird weight. Like, did the flounder kind of eat it and then follow the pressure off the bank? Because I've noticed so many times where it's like I'll feel like, oh, do I have a fish, and I kind of get it close to the boat, and then all of a sudden it starts digging down beside the boat. Um, right. right.
1: So, and, and I know a lot of – this is always like that kind of – Part of the pun fisher cut bait moment right you're like you know do i do i start to reel like i've got it or do i sit there and let them have it for long? Right, right right and it's like it's that slow pull and you know if you've got the rod in your hand a lot of times you know flounder can be aggressive on it and a lot of times they can be pretty lethargic on it um you know the lethargic flounder a lot of times will hit half the bait you know and you don't really feel most of the time you feel the thump when they have the whole bait in your mouth Okay. their mouth so when you're sitting there reeling it in and you feel that bang, you know yeah and then it just stops I he's love got that feeling
0: that,
1: okay. <laughs> it's awesome but sometimes when you're sitting there reeling all of a sudden you just got like you're just pulling an oyster and you didn't feel the pump a lot of times that's when he's got half the bait you know so what I try to do when that happens I'll make my line tight and lift straight up and then if he sits there and it goes straight back down okay he doesn't have the hook yet okay so it's like, so at, the, at that point, give him a little bit of slack, take the tension off it, let, give him maybe like five seconds, and then just reel down, and then just reel up hard, and then that way, that, once again, that hook set yeah. with that yeah. hook, to get him to the side of the mouth. It doesn't take him long to get that, that bait in the, in, the, in the side, but if you lift up, and then he runs with it, he's got that hook, so yeah. it's like, just start feeling. Okay, you know, so a, a lot of times, you'll feel him go back down, and he and he might and at that point he might have the whole bait in his mouth, but he's not hooked yet. Right? Yeah. Right. So it's kind of one of those, you know, do I do I or do I not? But by giving him another five seconds or so, it's not going to hurt. Right. Him. Right. Go ahead and just you know go ahead and do that. Um, but a lot of time, you know, but if flounder has got that hook and it hooks in his mouth, he's either going to run or he's going to come come to the top and he'll shake his head like bass. You know, I mean, they've got a rapid head shake to try to get rid of that, get rid of that bait. Um so when you feel that like that he's got that hook he's he, absolutely man he's got it yeah. in it. He's, trying, he's trying to spit it you know that's absolutely and so when you're bringing that fish in also when you get it near the boat keep that head in the water
0: 100% if you
1: pull, if you pull that head out of the water you will see that rapid head shake exacerbated cuz all of a sudden it doesn't have the resistance of the water and you will see that hook come to fly back at you <laughs> so it's like keep that head in the water and literally just kind of have them go around in figure eights while your buddy's trying to get the land in there. yeah. You know? And with flounder, also, you want to make sure that you net them head first, because if you touch their tail, they're going to go ancient. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> absolutely, you know, go in from the head first and from the bottom up, and you'll be just fine.
0: Sweet, I like it. Yeah, I always tell people if you have a flounder, keep him a foot, two feet under the surface until I get up there to land him for you. People are like, oh, yeah. look, look at this massive flounder, and they're lifting their head, his head out of the water. And
1: then by yeah. the time you get there, he's gone. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, a flounder are, can be very aggressive and aggressive to the point where you can actually get them all the way to the boat and they don't even have a hook. You know, they'll sit there, they'll have it clamped down and they're they're just kind of following that bait. They're not fighting, they're not doing anything and they're just, they really want that bait really bad, you know. Yeah. And so sit there and, you know, because I've seen them just go, you know, right there at the boat but they it don't up. even have the hook. They're like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with this, you know. <laughs> so it's like, to sit there, and you're just slowly dragging them up to the boat. It's like, man, definitely keep that head in the water. Yeah, you know, I've definitely headed quite a few flounder that never had a hook in them. Yeah, you know, so, um, it's just uh, you know, be careful on that front.
0: Definitely. Well, man, such good information. Is there anything else before we close it down that that you want to touch on that maybe I haven't led our conversation to?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. You know, this is and this is something pretty specific to this year. Um, so starting here on the 16th, it's going to be crazy. Right yeah, everybody and their brother is going to go out and try to get as many flounder as they possibly can. Um, you know what I, what I do is I've got about five or six different rotations that I do in areas, so that way I don't try to overfish it. And I want to you know definitely throw that out to people as well as try to find different rotations if you're going out more than once. so that way you're just one, you're not cleaning out your spot, but also you can give a, a relief you know to some of yeah. those fish in that area. We're gonna have a lot of people out there trying to get as many fish as they can. Um, So, and it's, you know, that's just the kind of environment that we were given you know, by by Fish and Wildlife. It's just kind of is what it is. Um, So it's gonna be, it's gonna not only be mayhem, but it's really gonna be one of those things where, you know, we really have to bring it upon ourselves to be as conservative as possible on our catch. Um, And and with that, it's, you know, like I said, man, keep those two to four pounders, you know, I understand, you know, it, absolutely legal right to keep whatever you want, but man, you know, try to let those big girls go. I mean, they really do make a difference letting those big girls go back yeah. in the water to reproduce. So we really need to work on our numbers, so we don't have to have a season in. Right. So it's you know that's definitely up to us as much as fish and wildlife, more so even. So um, that if I my leaving thought, I would definitely definitely go with that.
0: Well, let me ask you this because I, I feel like a lot of people have, uh, you know, a measuring stick over a um, – like a boga grip or a scale is yeah. – and I think that eventually it would be kind of nice to have a slot size for flounder, you know, where we do have oh, to let yeah. the bigger fish go. Nice. It, it, yeah. if, if, you know, some of these listeners – I think everyone here on this podcast is very conservation-minded. Um, if yeah. they if they weren't, they probably left because I bring it up on every episode it seems like. Right. <laughs> Is there a size that you lengthwise that you say would be like a safe? Like, let's say this is going to be our slot for flounder this year. Like, is there a size that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, so you know, anywhere from like I love to keep anywhere from 18 to 22 inch. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, that's good. That's a good size. You know, uh, you know, you start to get 24, 25 inch on a southern, you're getting upwards of citation size. So you know, that's five pounds plus. Um, so you know, anything you know, like I said above, kind of above that, I. I let go, I try to let go. Um, every once in a while, you know, you get a swallowed hook, you get, you know, he gets all beat up, you know, it is what it is, so, you know, I'm gonna keep him because he's gonna die anyway type deal, right. but, um, but, you know, on those larger fish, like I said, man, those egg clutches are so big, they exponentially get big, and they will, uh, um, they will absolutely just, you know, they're gonna do more for us letting them go, those bigger girls go, than they will do on your dinner plate, I promise you. Yeah,
0: can. definitely, so. And one thing I tell people, too, is like I get taking taking flounder home to freeze. But if you're near the coast and you're going to have the ability to come out and fish throughout this whole season, don't just stack your cooler up with, with flounder. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's your choice, but I'm just going to say leave them in the water. It's better for everybody. It's better for you long term. You don't need to fill your freezer up. So much of that fish just gets thrown away. And you might be the person that y'all eat flounder like all the time or y'all eat fish all the time. I get it go for it but if you think there's a chance that it's going to sit in your freezer for more than two months just let them go <laughs> that's how i look at it there's a lot of other tasty fish out there so yeah um,
1: yeah there there is and they're taking a hit right now because yeah, we have they are taking a hit
0: they are <laughs> so. but, but uh but yeah i'm excited i'm excited to go catch a flounder i'm excited to be able to eat one but i, I that I, that's going to be my slot and that's kind of what i've been thinking too is 18 to 22 I didn't know where yeah. those clutch sizes really jumped up, so that's good to know, right about that 23, 24-inch yeah. range. And a 22 flounder is a big flounder. If you want the dock picture yeah. of a dead flounder on the dock, I mean a 22-inch. And that's the thing too, man. Just get good with your picture angles, and you can make a 20-incher look like a 24-incher. The and then oh, you there. don't have to worry about how big he was. <laughs> that's
1: right. Look at my Facebook page. You'll
0: it, see how it's done. <laughs> we'll do The next podcast will be uh, flounder picture angles because it is it is sometimes a harder fish to make it look the actual size that it is in a, in a picture so you gotta hide the fingers you yeah hide the thing. fingers i like it well right on man well thank you so much for coming on and uh i look forward to doing another episode with you soon maybe sometimes something not about flounder so we'll see we'll see what comes up but um yeah, well, cool. well i'm going to close her right out here you guys thanks for checking out this uh this eastern current fishing podcast uh we are stoked for flounder season we hope you are too we hope that this flounder content we're bringing you is going to help you become a better angler this season and we will see y'all in the next episode later